Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Almost There Lazy, a 90-day fiancé podcast. I am your host, Allison, and today we will be talking about Season 5, Episode 4 of 90 Day Fiancé, Happily Ever After, question mark. So as you may have noticed, my first episode of this entire podcast was Episode 1 of this current season of Happily Ever After. Um, You know, I'm new to this whole podcasting thing. If I get any listeners, that's enough for me. So I just honestly didn't get around to... um, episodes two and three the good thing about this show is like it's super repetitive you know they do a lot of recapping and rehashing old stuff episode to episode it's honestly like too many episodes in a season at this point I mean it's no excuse for my own laziness uh this is you know almost they're lazy after all so I didn't get around to those episodes and like I would honestly rather release these pretty close to the air date so that it's fresh in everybody's mind and all of that and honestly um, not allowing myself to talk talk about Colt's intimate activities in the hotel room with Jess in Chicago was an act of self-care. We all need to be practicing self-care right now, and that's how I took care of me. So, uh, yeah, little updates on my life. Um, past two weeks, last week I took off from work. Uh, we had a short week anyway with the 4th of July holiday, and I just kind of extended that to myself because work, you know driving me crazy. Um, And so with my time off, I kind of like got really into painting different rooms of my house. I just kind of impulsively like made this decision. I painted my bedroom. I painted a downstairs bathroom and the hallway adjacent to it. I was really like, you know, acting like I was an HGTV personality and going all out. So that was a lot of fun. It kept me busy and made me feel productive. Um, other than that, I kind of enjoyed the weather. I went swimming a lot. I did a lot of reading outside, um, and I ate a lobster, which was great. On the other side of things, my dog ate a grape by accident. He ate a single green grape, so we had to take an emergency visit to the vet. Luckily, he has the most incredible vet ever. She's, like, the nicest woman. She's so smart, um... And she was able to get him to throw that up. Um, So luckily that wasn't a bigger emergency. And my dog is just like, he's the happiest golden retriever in the world. Like they're already happy dogs. And he's just like, he's never had a bad day in his life. So it's not uncommon for him to end up at the emergency vet after having swallowed things and uh, having to throw things up. And he never seems to care or... (laughs) like be affected by it which is great but I also kind of wish he'd learn his lesson when he does things like eat socks which he's done on multiple occasions including on Christmas day last year or when he ate my empty airpods case earlier this year but yeah I love him anyway he's the love of my life and if I never get my own 90 day fiance or my promise ring I always have my dog As you all know, right now, TLC is simultaneously airing new seasons of Happily Ever After, question mark, as well as The Other Way. And I've thought about recapping The Other Way, um, but I think I'm just trying to get my feet wet in this whole podcasting thing first. I do have, like, a few thoughts. Um, New Tim, like, cheese stick Tim, honestly gives me the creeps. Like, he makes me so uncomfortable just to see him on screen. I don't know what it is. Like, I feel like we're going to find out that he's somehow the Zodiac killer, even though he's about 35 years old. Like, there's just something so off about him that I don't even feel like watching his segments. And um, 
So that's no good. On the other hand, like Armando and Kenny are obviously like the brightest light that we've ever seen in this entire franchise. And like, I think every person who watches this, this whole and the 90 day fiance world is just really like crossing their fingers that nothing bad happens to these two like that is really true love and like that they they are they do have their happily ever after and Armando's daughter Hannah is seriously one of the cutest 90 day kids and that's a pretty high bar because the 90 day kids are actually usually pretty awesome like I don't tend to be a huge fan of kids on TV shows, on reality TV, but the 90 Day Fiance bar is pretty high. Like, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the beekeeper lady's little son was really cute. And Michael from Connecticut, who married the really, really young woman from Brazil, her kids, I'm sorry, his kids were so awesome. But yeah, Hannah in particular, there's just something like so adorable to me, just the way she was saying in this last episode that she's so excited to have two daddies. It's just great so yeah I would like there is a lot going on with this season of the other way like we have that wholesome story as well as just like a bunch of mess stories um you know Jihoon in Korea poor Jihoon and yeah so I would recommend it I just don't think I'm gonna get around to it until I'm a more prolific podcaster which hopefully happens to me one day all right Let's get into the actual episode, and I think I have decided tonight to start with Libby and Andre, who are finally going to Moldova with baby Eleanor. Despite the reservations from family Libby that Moldova is the most dangerous country in the world where basically everybody is corrupt, they are going to go forward with their plans to have their second wedding with Andre's family and to get baby Eleanor baptized in his church. So we start out with their packing their bags. They're finalizing their suitcases to head on over to the airport. Um, They're like amazingly calm for people who are about to go across the world with an infant. But you do you people. I'm like the kind of person I am who like shows up to an airport hours early and, you know, thinks the entire time in security that I'm going to miss my plane, even though it's not departing or boarding for another three hours. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. Um, I also have to say, I know I'm trash, but Andre is really hot. I just, yeah, he's one of the hotter guys, I have to say. Something about him, especially now that he has his facial hair. But uh, aside from that... So they get to the airport and the entire time when they were back at the house, Andre was like kind of boasting to Libby that he knows how to pack a suitcase better than her. She takes too much time. And then he just like really struggled to even close his own suitcase. And they put them on the scale and the one suitcase weighs 50.5 pounds. So the person's giving them a really hard time that they have to take off like it has to be below 50 unless they can't fly without an extra fee. And it's funny because like, Andre, who's like so pompous at home, is the one to be like, oh, it's okay. It's okay, Libby. We'll take this off. When she is the one who's like, are you serious? And I'm on her side here. They're traveling with a baby. All of those scales are probably off by at least like a pound and a half, but whatever. They open up those suitcases, shuffle everything around, and they are on their way to Moldova. Libby and Eleanor are dressed in like a really cute matching outfits, like a, a pink leopard print. And yeah, they just they seem really excited uh, about the trip ahead of them, even though it's really long. And that's nice to see, like, uh, unlike someone, uh, Asuelo, who we will talk about later, Libby is genuinely happy to be doing something with her spouse's family. 
And since they're flying, a lot of the footage we see of them is like shot by themselves, like on, a, uh, I guess, a GoPro or whatever portable camera production gave them. So after like multiple connections, like many, many hours in the air, they finally land in Moldova. And I couldn't believe it, everybody, but family Libby was right. It's just like crime everywhere. As soon as they stepped off the plane, like they were just hit with this massive corruption and it's just not like America. Oh, wait, just kidding. Moldova looks perfectly fine and perfectly lovely. Um, Yeah, so those people suck. Libby has been to Moldova once before when her and Andre were dating. I don't know if that's like, did they fly over from Ireland or whatever, but she has met his family. And so she's just excited that Eleanor gets to finally meet everyone else except for Andre's dad, who was there for her birth. And uh, Andre's dad and his brother Raju come to meet them at the airport. And it's like a really sweet moment. They're hugging the baby and everything. It was interesting to see Raju because he looks like nothing like Andre. Like... First of all, he looks a lot older, like he might be like well into his 30s and he's just like very buttoned up. Like he kind of looks like an accountant from Chicago or something like I I, I don't know. I just was expecting like Andre to like a big, tall, like macho buff guy. But, you know, at least we have Andre to look at. They get to Andre's family's apartment and his mom is there to finally meet her granddaughter. And it's so sweet. She's saying our doll is here And Eleanor gets to meet um, uh, Andre's brother's daughter, who is about her age, like another girl cousin, which is just really nice. And even though she's flown all across the country, I have to give Libby so much credit in this episode. She is so gracious and nice. Like, she's so welcoming to this whole family. And what I really like about her is you can see in this episode that Libby has picked up, like, more like more than beginners Moldovan like she can understand it sounds like basic phrases basic sentences and she's able to communicate like in you know she's able to communicate fairly well with his family even though um at the very least Andre's brother does speak English but I like to see this on this show like I like to see it go both ways that you learn your spouse's language and culture as well as expecting them to like know perfect English And I think it's especially important. Um, I think Andre said in the first episode, like he wants Eleanor to be able to speak Moldovan um, so that she can communicate with their family back home and, uh, you know, over FaceTime or or something. So, yeah, it was just really nice to see and honestly surprising (laughs) coming from family Libby. But I don't think she is as like MAGA as the rest of them. I just paused to look it up because I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying something totally ignorant. So it seems like they do call it the Moldovan language, but essentially what they speak in Moldova is uh, Romanian. So sorry for that. Um, Sorry for my American ignorance. But anyway, so family Andre sets up this like really nice meal where they're all just like getting to talk to each other, talk about what's going to go on in these next few weeks. Um, so in another week's time, Libby's family is going to arrive for all the festivities and for all hell to break loose with all this crime in Moldova. Um, Andre's family is kind of like, oh, what are your plans? Like, do we have the church set up? Do we have like a reception hall? And Andre's like, nope. And rightfully, they're all in the same boat as Libby where they're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you don't have anything planned. 
And then Andrea's sister-in-law, who, by the way, is like super beautiful, she brings up a good point. She's like, well, in order for the baptism and probably the marriage, too, to go through in the church, like the Orthodox church that they're a part of, like Libby has to be baptized in that church as well. And so they ask Libby what her religion is. It's another good example is like she's able to say that she's Baptist uh, more or less in Romanian. And so then in her talking head, like, she's rightfully pissed. She's like, it's a big deal for me to just change my religion. Something that, information that would have been useful to me yesterday. So, you know, I don't know. Andre is just, there's a lot of patterns with these men who are on these shows. He's like striking me as Ji-hoon right now. Like, let's just figure it out by the seat of our pants. It's all going to be fine, people. And, yeah, I think we could all predict where this is going to go. But anyway, so Libby leaves the table with Eleanor to put her to bed. And then Andre, like, takes that opportunity, which is, like, it is polite to not say it in front of her. He takes the opportunity to, like, warn his family that family Libby is, like, extremely MAGA, like, USA, USA, number one kind of people. And so they all have to, like kind of tread lightly or be prepared for some like confrontation and his sweet mother is just like I just want everyone to get along and for this to be a good time well mother Andre that does not make for good TLC content so that's where we leave them for this week so the next couple I'll talk about is Kalani and Asuelo I want to apologize ahead of time Kalani and her sister Kalini and then there's Karini. I apologize if I like transpose those names in any way. Doing the best I can. It's just like a lot of K's. Um, and I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody. It's just when I'm reading and talking, I don't know if I'm going to get them wrong. But anyway, Aspoelo is a huge asshole. You know, their 90 Day Fiance regular season, he just seemed like a very, very innocent, like, I don't like a child who had come over from Samoa, didn't know what he was getting himself into, just like really innocent and naive about the world. And Kalani kind of says that herself in these talking heads. And now it's like he's left that childhood stage. Now he's like a petulant preteen boy, which would be like, okay if you were actually 11 years old, but he's a 25 ish year old man who is married and who has two children. So I just have no patience for this asshole. He's just, like, the worst this season. Like, and Kalani, like, what I really like about Kalani this season is, like, not the way that she interacts directly with people on the screen, but watching her as other people are talking, you could really see, like, she loves those two little boys. And she just seems like a great mom. Like, in the background, she's always, like, hugging them or, like, playing with them or just, like, taking care of them because she's the one doing it. And she doesn't seem, like, resentful of the children. It seems like she, you know, has really fallen really well into this mom role. And it's, like, especially commendable since she had her two boys, like, very quickly, one after the other. So that is nice to see. But, yeah, Oswello sucks. So as we saw last week, um, they had been planning to go to Samoa to see Asuelo's family with the money that TLC is obviously giving every couple this season to travel somewhere. But uh, there has been a, it's like, I think it was last fall. So fall 2019, pre-COVID, there was a massive um, measles outbreak in Samoa. 
And so their youngest son, Kennedy, has not yet had the measles vaccine. So they consulted with a doctor who was like, I mean, it could be safe to vaccinate him early. But Kalani, first of all, she's worried about that, quote unquote, could like just because he got vaccinated, like who knows if that's enough to protect both him and Oliver, probably. And also she mentions that their older son, Oliver, had a really bad reaction when he first got the measles vaccine. So considering that Kennedy is really on the younger, like the way younger end of like, in a safe age to get the measles vaccine. She's just like, it's too dangerous for us to go. Like, we're just, it's it's not worth the risk. And us, and her parents agree with her. They're like, yeah, like, it, it's not the time to go to Samoa. Meanwhile, preteen Oswello is like pouting that her parents took her side about the safety and health and well-being of their children. He says that he always loses and they always win. So that's great. And so now instead of going to Samoa, they are going to drive to Southern California to visit Kalani's sister. And on this weekend, they're going to celebrate their older son, Oliver's second birthday. I looked it up. So Kalani and Asuelo and her family, um, besides her sister, they're living in St. George, Utah. And I think that in the first season when she was living in Southern California, she was somewhere in like the Anaheim area or maybe Irvine. Anyway, for to go to St. George, um, sorry, to go to Anaheim from St. George is like easily a six hour drive, like not counting like rest stops, especially with two very young children. So it's quite a schlep. Like, so they start out on this journey and poor Kalani is wedged in the back seat between the two car seats while her mom is driving and Oswello still pouting is in the front seat. Uh, Kalani says that the two boys have been up all night sick and like of course like now they're sleeping when they're in the car and she's exhausted she also sounds like she's sick as well like in the later scenes like she's definitely lost her voice so yeah she's like she's doing her best though she's staying positive while her baby husband like has a tantrum in the front seat like and Kalani like give this woman credit at one point she is literally on the right side of her body, nursing the baby who's in his car seat while tending to Oliver with her left hand and like doing it like it's no big thing. Like she's amazing. But yeah, so after a while of being cramped up like that, she asks if she could sit in the front for a while with her mother because her back is really hurting. Um, Oswello doesn't like it because when the kids wake up, they need your boobies. But uh, obviously Kalani's mother sides with her and they switch seats. Um, so Oswello's tantrum worsens. He's pouting that they should have canceled the whole trip if the kids are sick. And she's like, uh, but we paid for our Airbnb and we planned everything and it's our son's birthday. But he doesn't care because he didn't get to go to Samoa because of the measles outbreak. And so he's going to do everything in his power to make Kalani miserable and to make this whole trip just like exhausting and frustrating for everybody involved. Not to mention awkward for her mother and eventually her father and her sister who are going to be joining them. Um, in his talking head, he says, quote, I'm upset because I'm not the man of the house. And he feels that nobody is ever on his side. And don't you all feel really bad for him? <sighs> Oswello may as well be sitting back there with like a disc man on listening to my chemical romance, like the way he's acting, the way he's talking. And eventually he says, like, he the topic comes up that he thinks Kalani's job is easy. 
and her mom, who doesn't take shit, and, you know, neither does Kalani, to be, like, to be fair. Uh, Mother Kalani is like, do you mean that Kalani's job is easy and that every woman's job is easy or just American women? He thinks on this for a minute and he's like, no, it's American women. Your life is so easy here. Uh, You have washing machines and dishwashers that do everything for you. You don't work with your hands like Samoan women. And you even have TVs to plop the kids in front of. Because, yes, that's all that women who stay at or any parent, that's any caregiver who stays at home. That's all they have to do. It's super easy. It's not like they're sitting in the basement playing video games, you know, all day or begging off to play volleyball with their friends at the YMCA, right? So Kalani looks like she just wants to pull over and like push him out of the car, which I don't think anyone would blame her. And her mother makes the good point. She's like, if you're going to say that shit, say it in front of Kalani's dad. And if you, you know, Father Kalani is a formidable figure. Like he looks like he, you know, is in the Sons of Anarchy. Like he could beat up anybody. I'd be, I would love to see it. I would love to see him go head to head with Oswell and, you know what? I think we might actually get that this season. But if I were Oswillo, I'd be scared. Finally, they get to their Airbnb in Southern California. And like Kalani has like just barely brought the kids into the house when Oswillo just like runs into the backyard to go to go like cry about it, go post on his Tumblr about how mean his wife is that she won't let her kids get exposed to the measles. Um, he like there's an orange tree in the backyard and like the oranges are still like very yellow and green and he picks one and just like kind of sadly eats it like the saddest little boy in the world Um, and Kalani comes out and she's like what's going on with you like what are you eating and he says that she and her mom are being so mean to him and he wishes he had never come on the trip may I remind you again this is a trip to celebrate his first son's second birthday Oswello, things are not always about you. Like, I just can't believe any adult father would act this way. Like, quite honestly, I would love to see a spinoff with Oswello and Jihoon from The Other Way. Like, having to live on their own. Like, kind of like, I don't know, like um, a modified version of The Simple Life where they have to do, like, actual adult things. Like, find an apartment to live in and, like, take care of a ba- maybe not a real baby but like one of those babies from like um like family living classes in high school like take care of one of those fake babies for 24 hours and just like grow the fuck up like these are men with children and they certainly don't act like that so yeah she's going on about it he makes her eat a piece of the sour orange and she's like rightfully like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> and they go back and forth again about like this thing like why did you say it's such an easy job like if you thinks it's so easy what I do like why don't you ever help me like if you think that's easy you really don't work that much you're part-time but you also don't contribute so what's up with that and he's like well it's a woman's job and this is the point in her talking head where she's like you know what like I expected when he got to the U.S. he would still you know be immature still be influenced by his very like um, misogynistic culture where the women are only expected to do the child care, but I expected he'd be better by now, and he's just not. Meanwhile, in his talking head, 
he claims that, I mean, it, he does have a point. He's like, it's really hard for me to express myself in English because I, you know, I can't communicate my feelings as well in it because I just don't have like that grasp of the language. So yeah, I do, like he probably like is not able to say all the things he wants to say, but that's certainly no excuse for saying that like his wife has an easy time of it taking care of two kids under two all day, every day without any help from him. So he comes back in the house and Kalani and her mom are there with the babies. And at first he pretends that he's just like getting his cell phone, which is charging in the wall. And then like he very clearly like he starts like shuffling over to the hallway and he takes all his shit and leaves. Uh, Kalani kind of watches him out the front door as her older son is like dangerously toddling toward the street. She like goes to grab the baby And at this point, she should have just, like, shut the door and locked it and been like, okay, bye. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, she tries to call after him, and he's just, like, leaving. The producers go after Osuelo to find him, and he's, like, trying to catch a bus that looks like, I don't know, like a city bus, like a Santa Monica city bus or something. And they're like, "Uh, what are you doing? Are you going back to Utah? And he's like, yeah, I think so. Can I take the mic? Because I want to live. Are you going to Utah? I think so. So they they let him go on his merry way. They cut him loose. Um, he hands off his microphone and Oswello has left. Because question mark? I don't know. By the way, like at this point, Kalani is not emotional or upset. She's kind of just like, what the fuck? Like, and her mom is the same. They're both kind of just rolling their eyes and... Uh, it looks like from the preview, she never really gets to that point where she's like crying about it. She's probably glad that he's away so that they can just like be normal people without this like bizarre, you know, preteen boy husband clinging to her and dragging her down for this trip that is supposed to be really nice. Okay, so next to get them out of the way because I hate Colt and they get way too much airtime, let's get on to Colt and Larissa. Colt has returned to Las Vegas and Mother Debbie from Chicago, where he was visiting Jess. Uh, While he was there, Jess invited him to come visit her in Brazil, where she's returning to go visit her family. And so he and Mother Debbie, who he says is his best friend, are catching up and sitting on the couch. Um, Debbie is holding a mug that says best stepdad ever, which I have a lot of questions about. Um, I believe Colt's father is deceased, but... Uh, was Debbie remarried? Is this supposed to be like some funny joke gift that Colt got her? Like, I don't know. I just, why did you put that in front of me, Mother Debbie, if you're not going to answer questions? So appropriately with these two, the first thing we see are these damn cats, like, you know, rolling around on the rug. Colt is playing with a laser pointer with one of them. And like he and Debbie are both just admiring this cat as if she's the most beautiful thing in the world, which like, I don't know, maybe that's how they feel. I, I definitely tell my dog that he's the cutest, most handsome boy in the world. And um, I kind of believe that he might be. And Colt supplies us for the information in his talking head that um, there's two cats, Kelly and Wolfie, that he bought with Larissa. And in typical Colt asshole fashion, he's like, yeah, she bought them when we were married, but now they're mine. 
And Colt is a really big person, you people, because he loves every cat equally, regardless of where they came from, even if they were bought during his marriage to the evil devil Larissa. (sighs) So finally, Colt lets the cat, (laughs) Colt lets the cat out of the bag and he tells Mother Debbie about Jess. And he's like, keep in mind, this is a 32 year old man. He's like, are you mad at me that I didn't tell you sooner? And she's like, um, I mean, not really. You're acting super weird about that trip to Chicago. And also, you're a grown ass man. I don't expect you to come running toward me every time you meet somebody new. Uh, So but then he lets the bomb drop that Jess is Brazilian. I figured if something was happening, you would eventually tell me. It's most of the fact that Jess is Brazilian is why I didn't tell you. <sighs> However, Debbie quickly recovers and she, you know, she's showing a lot of self-awareness this season and trying to be more fair-minded. And she points out, she's like, I know not all Brazilian women are going to be like Larissa. Like, she's honestly probably the exception. I don't expect that drama. I'm not going to put all Brazilian women into this box. What she's more concerned about is she's like, look, Colt, like you're going through all this drama with Larissa's deportation. Sigh. Um, And she's like, is this really the time to be dating? Which is a fair point. Um, Debbie also looks really nice in her talking heads this season. She got like a nice little outfit on, like did her hair up nice. Um, Anyway, then Debbie starts pressing Colt about what he might want from the future with this. She's like, she asks what Jess's deal is in America and like, what is she looking to get out of this? So Colt tells her that, you know, um, Jess is on the J1 visa as an au pair, which means like, I think at this point she has like another six months or another year after that left. And um, Jess is not particularly like interested in staying in the U.S. necessarily. Like, uh, but if she were, um, she could come back on like a student visa or um, a, a visitor's visa and as Jess pointed out, uh, which Colt smartly does not mention to Debbie, she could always come back on a K-1 visa. They talk about this trip to Brazil that Colt is going to take in a week to go visit her family with the money that TLC is gifting them, um, the travel plans. Uh, Debbie, like, gets super, like, controlling, like, typical Debbie, like, just way too involved in, in her large adult son's life. She's worried that her poor, innocent son, who's not a master manipulator and gaslighter in the slightest, will be easily swayed down in Brazil by this uh, malicious woman. And she's hoping that he doesn't come home with another bride because they do have wedding chapels in Brazil. That's correct, Debbie. And so Debbie, you know, she has her guard up with this one. She doesn't want a repeat of uh, her head to head with the queen. And she is ready to stand up for her culty if that's what it takes. Next scene, we see culty and he's doing um, like it looks like Rosetta Stone or something. Like for some reason, they um, blurred out the screen. So I have a feeling it's like something proprietary like that. And he's learning how to speak some basic Portuguese. It should be no surprise to any of us that his laptop screen is just like absolutely filthy with fingerprints that in HD just like give you the an idea of what kind of man this is that we're dealing with um after he's done with his brief lesson on the verbs um for to run and to cook he uh facetimes jess over in chicago 
And she like is looking pretty cute, but she's like, yeah, I'm getting all ready. I'm going to go out to a bar with my friends. And uh, she's like, yeah, but I just have to change my clothes into something nicer. And this asshole gets super mad. Like, well, don't get too sexy. But Jess knows the way to Colty's heart. In order to placate him, she holds up uh, one of her cats and she's like, look, he's plus sized. And Colt's like, I'm plus sized too. And um, I'm not here to body shame anybody, but I just really hate Colt. I think he's just the worst and he looks terrible this season. So as it turns out, Colt drops another bomb. He's just dropping bombs left and right on the, the women this episode. Uh, apparently off screen, he and Debbie continue to talk about this Brazil trip. Um, he probably let her on that TLC is footing the bill. And now Debbie wants to come along with him to Brazil. Jess is kind of like, Oh, uh, your elderly mother is going to come along to meet my family when we've been dating long distance and I've been together like for maybe a grand total of four days, I I guess so. (laughs) So, yeah, she kind of skirts around the topic and kind of just nods and be like, okay, I I guess so. Mm -hmm, We'll see. She kind of changed the subject and she's like, well, the most important thing is since I'm going to be visiting my family, you have to get along with my father. And you have to, like, he has to like you if my dad doesn't like you. Like, sorry, that's it. Um, Which, like, I'm picturing, like, the Brazilian version of Father Kalani, just super intimidating. And, like, unlike Asuelo, Colt is having the appropriate reaction. He, like, looks like he might poop his pants. And he, like, gets, like, legitimately upset that he has to ask permission to date this man's grown daughter. Um, Anyway, so... She teaches Colt how to say, may I date your daughter in Portuguese? Um, I don't speak Portuguese, but I speak enough Spanish that I know that he like completely fucked it up. But anyway, she's nice to him about it. And it's just gross. He says, I think I'm a good boy for you. Yuck. Larissa, meanwhile, is hanging around in um, her house where she's staying with her friend Carmen um, Larissa and her new face brings like about five articles of clothing into her bedroom and she pretends to fold them as if, as if this is like an entire load of laundry for her. It's just so set up. So she like, I don't know, she kind of just like fucks around with those five pieces of clothes and then picks up her, her phone. And they act as if this is the first she's seeing of a picture of Colty and um, Jess on social media. And it's really funny. It's like a picture of them in Chicago. But then Larissa like zooms in really, really close to Colt's calves. It's just like really, it's pretty funny. So she talks about how she knows that Colt is uh, dating a new woman. um, But she wants Jesse to know that Colty is a womanized and a manipulative so apparently she's been messaging this woman on Facebook and for some reason, uh, Jess agreed to give her her phone number. So I talked about in the last episode, I think, like, how the fuck did Jess find Colty? Like, there has to be some, like, I don't know, I would guess there's some Brazilian expats Facebook group where maybe she and Larissa already knew each other and, you know... Larissa was like, hey, I used to be married to this asshole Colty. And like, if you want to be on TV, like, here's your opportunity. Just drop into his DM, something like that. So anyway, she calls, She um, Larissa opens up her phone and she calls up this phone number. By the way, Jess is in her phone as Colty gal, which is pretty great. 
for this scene, keep in mind, these are two women who are from Brazil. Um, Jess obviously has a much better command of the language than Larissa. Like, not to say that Larissa can't speak English, but like... Why, if I called up someone, if I were living abroad and in a non-English speaking country and I called someone else up who was from America, I would speak English. I really, like, it seems like TLC is really hesitant to use translators in situations where it would make more sense. Um, I think that's why this season, like, with Larissa, that they, like, hired all these American women to be her quote-unquote friends. Uh, I just think they do that a disservice. I know people online have said, too, like, with the reunions. Um, for example, on the last reunion for before the 90 days, Rose from the Philippines asked for a translator so she could fully express herself. And so she had a local translator there with her. And people online who speak Tagalog said that not only did, like, the translator get it all wrong, but the subtitles were just, like, misrepresenting what Rose said. So I don't, like, I don't understand why TLC, like, is so English heavy. Like, maybe they realize that most of their fan base is, like, idiots who will freak out over having to read subtitles. Like, the kind of people who have a problem with Parasite winning Best Picture because it's in Korean. You know, people like that. So anyway, (laughs) Larissa starts this conversation by saying, Jessica, cult is a demon. Um, this is Larissa, your boyfriend, ex-wife. Why you want to call me? I have some things to tell about Colt. Colt says bad about you. Jessica, Colt is a demo. And like, okay, that's pretty hilarious. Like, imagine your new boyfriend's ex-wife calling you and calling him a demon. Like... In in reflection, after I hung up the phone, I'd be like, oh, what the fuck did I get myself into? <laughs> but in the moment, just the word demon is like pretty amazing. So they go back and forth like immediately. You could tell how staged this is because Jess is just like, I don't believe it. Colty is a good guy. Like, he's so nice. In her talking head, like for this scene, Larissa compares Colty to a whale. <laughs> And says, it's like, how a whale looks really cute far away, but up close, a whale is dangerous. (laughs) Which I hope was like um, an intentional shady comment to his current weight. Larissa like brings up the really good point um, that she like warns Jess, like if you get involved with this guy and like his crazy ass mother, who by the way, she calls Debbie a wolf. So we have a whale and a wolf going on here. Some some great animal analogies. Anyway, she's saying, like, they're going to try to fuck up your immigration status. Like, they're doing it to me and they're trying to get me deported, which, like, is true. Like, Larissa owns it. She's like, I am crazy. And, like, I did get arrested. But the truth is with those, like, they did call the cops on her. And I think they 100% had the intention of fucking it up so that she would get deported back to Brazil just because, like, they didn't like her. So then she also brings up the point. She's like, do you ever have moments when Colt is hiding his phone from you? And Jess is like, well, yeah. And remember, Jess already knows about this woman, Vanessa, who Colty is like obsessed with, who he met at the gym and like that she is rightfully like suspicious of this. Um, And Larissa's like, yeah, I mean, he talked to other women during our marriage. He was super shady. Like, just watch your back. He's a geeky player, she said. (laughs) And yeah, she's really just trying to get her point across. Like, 
Um, it's not quite that crazy, but she's like kind of bordering on uh, Glenn Close in uh, Fatal Attraction that she will not be ignored. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Jess hangs up on her and Larissa gets back to folding her two pieces of laundry. Next up, uh, Mother Debbie is seasoning up some steaks in the kitchen, microwaving up some uh, potatoes. And wouldn't you know it, this fabled Vanessa is coming over for dinner. It turns out she's going to be watching all these fucking cats while they go to Brazil. And so Colt is saying this will be a thank you dinner. According to Colt, they met um, after Larissa's second arrest, which was close to the end of his marriage. But I think he was probably still married then. And she concurs and says that she was also going through a quote unquote divorce situation. Once again, this is a woman who is, like, way too pretty for Colt, first of all, and, like, way too stable-seeming. But so are all of these women, so I don't know what's wrong with her that she's hanging around this asshole, but anyway. Colt did mention in a different episode that she is Brazilian, but she seems to be a native English speaker, so I'm not sure if she, like, um, like, what her situation is in the U.S., but anyway. Um, He says that Vanessa is his best friend and she's been there a lot longer than Jess has in his life. And just judging from like the way that like baby Colty acted when Jess, this woman that he's like met up with twice was going to change into a different fucking shirt to go to a bar with her girlfriends. Like, could you imagine if her best friend was a guy like, uh, yeah, exactly. Colt claims in his talking head that he has slept with Vanessa once and that he does have a crush on her. Um, I will point out Vanessa does not corroborate this information. Like, not only does it, do I want to throw up talking about this, but I just think Colt is a liar, liar, panties on fire. They start off this dinner, right? Quote unquote, I guess, by doing shots with Mother Debbie, who like, practically gags into the sink and sucks down like an entire lemon and so then they sit down to their dinner with these like just like slabs of meat they start talking about this brazil trip they're about to take and how mother debbie is going along and it really seems like this whole time that colt is like talking about this trip in such a way and in such a tone that he's hoping that this woman who is like 10 levels above him will be like no don't go to brazil and go after this woman i love you and obviously it's like not working uh because pretty quickly um vanessa jumps onto mother debbie's side and she's like uh wait you're gonna go meet this 26 year old woman's family like you have haven't known her that long like this is all really sudden like what are you doing here um mother debbie agrees with her and fucking asshole colt is like is there an echo in here but you know whether or not it's right or wrong debbie's gonna take this free trip and so is colt and so uh, maybe if vanessa had declared her love for um this cat loving weirdo things would have changed but i highly doubt it Debbie admits in her talking head that, like, she really likes Vanessa and she wants Colt to be with someone like Vanessa. Um, Debbie, I don't think someone like Vanessa actually wants to be with him. Then they start getting into, they ask him, like, financial questions. Like, have you given Jess money? And he admits that he did give her money to pay for her ticket back to Brazil because that's she's already back in Brazil visiting her family 
And um, when he's pressed further, he admits that he's probably spent about like a thousand dollars on her since the beginning of their relationship, um, which is a, like, you know, it, it is a lot for the length of the re- relationship. But at the same time, it sounds like he spent a lot of money on like things like makeup and I would bet dollars to donuts that Colty is the kind of guy who like every time he took her out to dinner or bought her a drink or bought her like a fucking cup of coffee, like when they ate that like disgusting breakfast in their bed in the hotel, he is the type of guy who's like keeping a running tally of how much money he spends on a woman so that at a later date he can like hold it over her head and be like, but I spent all this money on you. You owe me like... If that's not in Colt's character, I just completely misread him. But I think I believe that to be true in my heart. Finally, we get back to Larissa and this shit starts to get dark. Um, So she is still waiting on her green card application that she's trying to do um, separate from the K-1 visa that she was on. Um, She accepted the money from her father to help fund that because Colt um, has canceled his affidavit of support And now she needs to prove her own worth to stay in the country without, like, him promising to be her financial backer, basically, is how I understand it. In the meantime, though, she got a letter and she has to go visit um, USCIS, the Immigration Services, to, like, I don't know, they just asked for her presence at this building. One of these American women (laughs) who... um, was hired by TLC, comes to drive her. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to like drop you off, right? And Larissa's like, no, uh, I think I might get deported today. (laughs) I'm going to give you my lawyer's phone number. And if I get arrested by USCIS, like I need you to call my lawyer immediately. (laughs) And this woman is driving her there like, "Um, what the fuck? This is not what I signed up for. Uh, I thought I was just going to like give you a ride and get my like, three minutes of screen time on this like semi-scripted reality TV show. This has turned out to be a pretty large job. So they get there, like Larissa's freaking out. She just like has a really bad feeling. And yeah, she like has this kind of like, I don't know, kind of poignant conversation where she's like Americans and American citizens. I know like they just have no idea how they don't appreciate how lucky they are to be safely in this country. And yeah, that's where we leave it. Um, I do feel for her. She's walking into the building, not knowing if like this is it for her. Let's go to Paul and Karini next so I could finish up with Miss Angela. Um, Just like I was saying with like all the K names before, if I mispronounce any of these names, I blame it on Paul. Like he's the only English speaking native English speaker on the show who gets his own subtitles because he just mumbles and um, butchers everything. So like, just like fair warning, like I think that's Karini and I think that they pronounce their son's name Pieri in Portuguese. If I'm wrong, like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be. So where we picked up with them this season is Paul was living in Brazil um, with Karini, his wife, and um, Pieri, their son, because they were unable to secure a K-1 visa to bring her there before their wedding. Part of this, I believe, is that Paul has like a kind of like disturbing and somewhat extensive track record with the American legal system for doing weird ass shit like arson and I think like stalking, things like that. So as an alternative, like they did successfully do the other way where they got married in Brazil 
And now Paul is going to bring Karini to the U.S. on a different kind of visa. And basically the way this visa works, I kind of did like a Wikipedia immigration lawyer search into this, is she comes over and she automatically has a temporary green card from being married to an American citizen abroad. And after a set amount of years, she can apply for a more permanent green card. So I would think that some version of this is also what Angela and Michael are after. Um, but yeah, um, you could you could easily look up these visas. I do recommend it. It's kind of interesting um, to get the ins and outs of like all these letter number combinations. Like it's pretty fairly easy to find. And um, yeah, like maybe we should all understand visas beyond the K-1. So now they're in, um, they're back in Kentucky, as we saw last week. This is Karini's first time, like, moving away from her family. Like, we can't forget with all of this that Karini is, like, in her very early 20s, and she's never left home. She's never left Brazil. So now she's a very young mother with this super unstable loser trying to, like, make her way in America. When we first met uh, Paul and Karini, I think it was on a before the 90 days season when he traveled to Brazil with like all of his rubber suits and like cases full of protective gear that would make like any COVID-19 hoarder jealous. Um, they like were truly only communicating through like a translator app. And Karini at this point, like really seemed like she is able to communicate like pretty well with Paul. Um, like I said, like his English skills as a native speaker from Kentucky are already limited. And I would guess like within the next year, if she stays in America, which, um, I hope she doesn't, um, Karini is going to surpass Paul in, um, English competency. So Paul, it looks like with this whole season, it's like he just read like fucking Rudyard Kipling. Like he's has this white man savior complex, like white man's burden bringing, Karini to the U.S., which, like, might I remind you, the only reason why they're in the fucking U.S. now is because he could not get a job in, in Brazil. I assume it's hard for any American who does not have any command of the Portuguese language to get a job in Brazil. Um, I'm not even sure, like, what kind of legal rights he had there, like, what kind of immigration status. But you know this motherfucker, like, never bothered to learn a single fucking word in Portuguese beyond, like, like, what was the word that he was saying to her that time? I want to say it was, like, forgive or something. Maybe that's somebody else. But anyway, so, like, don't act so high and mighty, Paul. Like, you're just the worst. So anyway, first starting out in this hotel, um, she asks Paul for a glass of water. Meanwhile, like... I'm not fucking blind. There is a bottle of water like already open on the nightstand behind her. So don't pretend that like this woman who just flew like probably 18 hours, um, flew and traveled 18 hours, has been staying in this hotel all night, has not had a single sip of water since she left Brazil. Anyway, so Paul makes a point of getting her a glass of water from the tap in the bathroom to show her like oh look in brazil like the tap water sucks ass it's like all brown and muddy and here in america where everything's perfect and there's no problems ever you can uh, drink this fluoride water and she, you know she's a champ about putting up the act that tlc put them up to she pretends that she doesn't want to drink the tap water and then hesitantly accepts it as it turns out, um, they're going to spend the day getting Paul's car from his mother's house. Um, 
So like right now they're in like taxis and everything. And he like wants to show her like what a man and a father slash husband he's going to be by showing off this car that they're going to get around with in their new life in the U.S. By the way, this entire episode, um, Paul is wearing like a green hunting camo shirt. Um, I don't think this man should have a gun. Sorry it offends you, but that is what I believe. So anyway, they uh, they take another taxi with um, the baby to his parents' house. And meanwhile, like, Paul is, like, complaining really hard. So his mother did give him the key to his car. But, like, when he left it there with her, when he left for Brazil, it also had a house key on her. And this woman's smart because she took the house key off. And so he's really pissed off that his mom, like, basically eliminated their access to the house. Meanwhile, there's, like, a dog next door who immediately, like, uh, clocks Paul and starts barking and warning pretty much that this, like, asshole is back. This creepy asshole. It's pretty funny. Uh, I do feel bad for Karini in this moment because she's realizing, like, okay, we can't even get in the fucking house to get a trash bag. I thought that this woman, like Paul's mother, was going to help me out. I'm a complete stranger in this country. I just left a, behind my entire, like, really supportive family. Like, is she just not going to help us out at all? And, like, the, like, implicit question, like, revising that is, like, is she not going to help me out at all? Like, I thought I would at least have the help of this woman. Paul shows Karini the car that he left behind and like it's older like it's all rusted up like the whole um like bumper is all fucked up and like crushed in and she's like um this is the car you've been promising like she says this is like a terrible car. Mr. Paul Kipling is going on and on like well we had worse cars in Brazil Karini like this is what we got. Um, she says in her talking head, she's like, I'm not surprised that this car is like fucking filthy. Cause, oh yeah. Cause by the way, he pops open the trunk and it is like absolutely full of garbage. Uh, and I'm not just saying like he has like stuff stored in there. It just looks like straight up fucking garbage to the point that he pulls out like a styrofoam, like food container. And he's like, oh, these are old French fries. And he throws them over the fence into his neighbor's yard. Like, that's how fucking revolting this car is. And on the first episode they were on when they were still back in Brazil, when they were packing up, like, okay, granted, it was a small apartment and they have a small baby, but that apartment was like fucking disgustingly filthy. So this poor woman is like subjected to his like slovenly behavior anyway. And now this is the car that she's supposed to put her baby in. Like, I don't think so. So she tells him, like, I'm not putting uh, Pierre into that car until you clean it up. And he's, well, I don't have a, I don't have a trash bag. I don't have, I can't get inside the house. I need a dumpster. She's like persistent. Like, no, I'm not leaving anywhere with you until you fix this situation. Like, this sucks. Like, and then he says, like, one of the worst, like, honestly, like one of the, there's been a lot. So maybe I'm going to, you know, take this back eventually. While she's complaining about the, um state of his car he says you were fucking in a wooden hut it's just so gross like so condescending so xenophobic like must i go on but uh karini does stand up for herself and like basically tells him he's being rude and just like hurry the fuck up because the baby's hot and they need to like get out of the sun and 
go be normal people who are not throwing french fries into a neighbor's yard. And she says in her talking head, she's like, once again, like, I'll probably say this every episode, like, if Paul can't figure this shit out and he continues to be a massive disappointment, like, I'm just going to go home to Brazil. Which leads me to, like, my wishes for Karini. I do not want her under any circumstances to have another baby with Paul. I want her to avoid that if she can. Um, If she can take advantage of the time in the U.S. that she has, I'm not sure if she's even still here. Like, God bless if she already went back to Brazil. Don't blame her. But if she's able to get, like, any kind of education that she wouldn't be able to get in Brazil, like, I'm not trying to be offensive, but, like, if she's able to, like, go to community college or something and just, like, get something out of this experience so it's not a total net loss to her, like, that's what I want. But ultimately, I do want Karini to just, like, dump Paul completely, like, cut him off completely and go back to her family, who seem, like, really nice and supportive people and... It would just break my heart to continue to see her so homesick when she has a really nice family and basically nobody in the United States. Finally, let's get to Angela and Michael. So we start with Michael. We go back to Nigeria for the first time this season and we see what he's up to. Um, He's living with Mama. He kind of like, this is what I'm saying about the repetitive nature of the show. He kind of recaps his relationship with Angela and he lets us know that, you know, when they met online and now throughout the relationship, what he really likes about Angela is her smiles and her boobs. He pretends to tell Mama for the first time what the plan is, which is that Angela will be coming back to Nigeria. They will have their Nigerian wedding and then they will apply for the spousal visa so that he can go to the U.S. I don't think that Michael's mother speaks very much English at all. And for that purpose, since TLC is anti-translator, he goes to speak to his auntie Lydia, who seems like really awesome. She speaks really good English and she... um, is married to Michael's uncle, but she's super invested in this whole thing and like making sure that he's not being taken advantage of and everything. And she's just like, she, she's one of the better, like, um, like, what do you want to call this? Like people, like soundboard people who you would talk off of on a reality show because she asks a lot of questions that are like actually very real without sounding like a producer just fed this into her ear like five seconds earlier. So Lydia recounts like meeting Angela the last time she was in Nigeria and she says that she was pleasantly surprised by Angela like being like really friendly and um, being really respectful which I will always give Angela credit for. Um, One of the problems I have with this show like overall is when they go overseas like just trying to portray like basically any nation that's not the U.S. as like how family Libby would see it like some third world hellhole when that's like it's just like so xenophobic like U.S. centric and it's not like not how I see the world so Angela on the other hand like you would expect her to act like a baby girl Lisa um, from the last season of before the 90 days and just totally be like you know giving the middle finger to Nigerian culture. But no, like Angela tries really hard to like understand Michael's culture and to do the right thing. And like um, she has a really good like positive attitude every time she's over there. So I'm glad that like his family feels that that's um, 
genuine. Like, it's good to hear that's not just for the show and everything. So Michael is telling Lydia, Auntie Lydia, that he still, you know, they still have their problems. Like when they were on FaceTime and uh, Angela heard that a uh, rogue ringtone from another lady. After which she sat her fat ass down and pulled some cigarettes out of her bra because Angela just needed a moment to herself. Auntie Lydia brings up how in Nigeria, like the man is really the center of a relationship. I don't know. Sounds a lot like Oswello's uh, ideal world. Um, but Michael understands that as an American woman, Angela wants a relationship that's more equally divided. Auntie Lydia also brings up the, um, the topic of children, which is really important to Michael, um, and his whole family. Um, she's rightfully suspicious that Angela, like, is kind of trying to convince Michael to just get married, and she's not actually worried about toting this other baby. And she asks him, um... Like, if Angela, who's 54 years old, can't tote a baby for you, like, would she be okay with you marrying another woman who could tote a baby for you? And at this point, Auntie Lydia explains that in Nigeria, um, a man can take a second wife if given permission from his first wife. And it sounds like, you know, um, they weren't really clear, but it would be in a situation like this where, like, the first wife couldn't have a baby, um, which is similar I, I think I, okay, I read about this for at least like some tribes in uh, Nigeria in the book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, which I highly recommend. It's about um, a young woman in Nigeria who's basically sold into a marriage when she's really young because one of the wives of the man that she sold to can't have other babies. Uh, anyway, I digress. But Michael is like sure that Angela is serious about toting this baby for him. And also that Angela, obviously, would not be into this idea of um, a second wife just for toting the baby. Back in Georgia, we go to see Angela and she is going to some kind of like kind of awesome looking clothing shop for to shop for Michael's outfit for their wedding. It's like um, this guy is like in this really dapper suit running this store and it's like all of these like colorful shoes and colorful tuxes that also look like they're at a pretty decent price so she just like she's kind of overwhelmed with all she has to do for Nigeria and just kind of like doesn't even know how to focus like while uh going through all these racks so then her friend Jojo shows up and Angela said that she is her best friend of the past two years um she's like a sissy to her and, you know, these have been a volatile two years. They're just like sisters. And so sometimes they love each other and sometimes they cuss at each other. Just like all of us do of our with our friendships of, uh, you know, two years. <laughs> so anyway, this woman does seem really nice. And she is there to help Angela pick out Michael's tuxedo. Um, another point, like Angela is dressed in a purple cami that is just hanging on for dear life. Looks like she could really use some support there. I want her to go see Molly, who's also in Georgia, you know, get properly fitted. And anyway, you know, she's a woman under stress. She's a, has a wedding to plan, international wedding to plan, like, very soon. And she also has this health crisis going on. Um, Her friend Jojo, a.k.a. Sissy, also kind of looks like she might be distantly related to Jenny from the other way, as in Jenny and Sumit. The two of them are going through all these colorful suits and trying to mix and match them. And Angela's kind of like 
dancing around it, how she needs, in order for her marriage to be recognized by Nigeria as legitimate, she needs someone from the U.S. to come with her to Nigeria to be a witness so that it's like, okay, like we really do like love each other. It's not just like a sham wedding. Apparently her daughter Skyla um, said that she doesn't want to do it and she would only like really support this marriage if Michael came to the U.S., which they were denied their K-1, so that's not going to happen. JoJo mentions in her talking head, she's like, look, I do think it's nuts at our age, like we're over 50, to have to go across the world in order to get married. But ultimately, she tells, she offers to Angela that she will go with her because she's her friend and she wants her to be happy. And also she wants to make sure nobody hurts her sissy. With that settled, Angela settles upon like a white tuxedo for Michael with a red cummerbund. And she also picks out these like glittery Dorothy Gale loafer shoes for him, which is like pretty sharp. Looking forward to that wedding. Back at the house, Angela is packing up her stuff, all her wedding stuff for Nigeria. um, While all the grandkids are kind of just like, I don't know, running around the house. Um, So there's a lot for her to pack for this trip. In the living room, she explains to all six of her grandkids that Meemaw is going to go marry Michael, but then she breaks the news to them that it's going to be over in Nigeria. The kids are like rightfully upset. Like (laughs) she has five granddaughters, I think, and one grandson and the five granddaughters like, but we all wanted to be flower girls. And like the kids are honestly like really smart for their age. Like I don't think any one of these kids is over the age of nine. And they're all like, Um, excuse me, how is this fair if Michael's whole family gets to be at your wedding and we don't get to be? In her talking head, Angela is talking about how she always thought that her mother and her grandkids would be at her wedding when she bought this dress, but, like, it's just not how the cards played out when the K-1 visa got denied. Since they can't be there, she decides to try on her wedding dress for the kids and her mom. Um, so Angela puts on this dress, um, that has like a whole ass crown attached to the veil, which she explains to them, points it out. And, um, she's like, why do I have a whole crown? And they're like, um, because you're a queen. And then she shows off to them that she has a crown to place upon Michael when they're at their reception after the wedding. Angela tries to comfort all these kids about the fact that they won't be able to attend this wedding and, uh, rounds it up with a big Meemaw hug. She asks them all to give her some lovin'. Angela's poor mother is there in her medical, uh, her hospital bed. And Angela seems like legitimately conflicted. She's like, are you really okay with me going over there? Are you going to be okay? Um, which is really sad because, you know, her mother has passed since this was all filmed. But her mother is honestly really sweet with all of this. She's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll be fine. Don't even worry about it. Like, Uh, basically gives her blessing for Angela to go do this, which I hope, you know, she feels good about now that her mother is no longer with her. It's really sad, too, because she points out, like, you know, she always wanted her mother to meet Michael in person. They talk on FaceTime, and her mother does like Michael, but she can't say confidently that that would ever actually happen. Now we get to, like, this, like, really sad thing that's going on with Angela which is when she went to go check out that like single egg that the Nigerian doctor claimed she still had when she went to go check it out. 
at her Georgia OBGYN, the OBGYN, like, detected um, a very thick uterus, which at her age might indicate some either precancerous or cancerous cells. It could be fibroids, but it could be cancer. And so now she was there to do an endometrial biopsy with this woman, um, which, like, good for Angela. Like, I know she worked as, like, I, th- I want to say, like, a hospice nurse or something, but she followed through this medical stuff and, like, is really trying to, like, be health conscious, especially as she mentions that um, she does have a family history of, like, cancers on her maternal side. Like, I think she said ovarian cancer and her mother had a hysterectomy and all- as well as breast cancer. So she is doing her due diligence to, like, get this checked up on instead of, like, I don't know, pretending that never happened. I do think this was a legitimate storyline and, like, a real health scare that she had. I hope it turned out okay. Um, But it is, like, one of the more honest, like, or maybe I mean to say, like, actually, like, legitimately serious storylines that I've seen on this entire franchise. Luckily, the biopsy that Angela uh, has to have done to determine what's going on with her uterus um, can be done, like, in the office without any anesthesia, (laughs) although the doctor starts to, like, uh, go invasively to get some cells out of her uterus, and Angela is screaming, like, bloody murder. Um, And so she's like, did you get it done? And the doctor's like, "Um, no, I didn't even start yet. The doctor decides to calm her down by giving her some nitrous oxide, which she points out that she has never, ever had to do before with any patient doing an endometrial biopsy. So Angela gets the gas and she's like pretty loopy pretty quickly. Um, It's like she's laughing. She said she feels like she's back in the 1960s or 70s when they were doing that marijuana. So uh, the doctor gets the cell scraping or biopsy, whatever she needed to get, and shows Angela um, while the nitrous oxide wears off. uh, The results will take a week to come back, but she will FaceTime Angela in Nigeria. Um, So Angela has not told any of her loved ones that she's facing this possible health crisis. Um, She doesn't want them to worry too much. And like there's all this stuff going on with the wedding anyway. But her biggest concern is, like, if it is cancer and she loses this only way she has of toting the baby, like, what does that mean for her and Michael? So that concludes this episode. As for next time, um, from the preview, Angela gets to Nigeria. I assume that um, Sissy is with her. Father Kalani arrives in Southern California and asks where Oswello is, and he's starting to get pissed off, so... Yikes, things are getting scary. Andre's mom serves him breakfast and Livy is mad for some reason. Fucking Tanya and Sinjin are back and they are fighting as usual. Um, Paul and Karini are touring some shacks, which is rich coming from someone who just made fun of her childhood home. And finally, Colt and Mother Debbie get to Brazil and Colt make, Colty makes out with uh, Jess right in front of her. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Um, Thank you for listening to me say the word like no less than one million times. You can follow the podcast at Almost There Lazy on Instagram. And I will be back next week recapping the next episode of Happily Ever After? Bye.